this time in the study of your word. Uh, we're so thankful that we can gather and study this portion of scripture uh, that we can gain from. And, and um, what I pray is for uh, there to be understanding and application for our lives. And Lord, we know that you want to speak to our hearts. And, and then, Lord, we want to be able to have our hearts just so ready and so prepared as we will then come to the communion table. And so, Lord, um, we do ask for you to, to be our teacher tonight. Um, teach us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, show us the things that you want to and touch our hearts. And may we right now have hearts that are soft before you, always desiring to be teachable and yielded to you and desiring to hear your voice through your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Second Chronicles chapter 10, we read, And Rehoboam went to Shechem and... For all of Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. And of course at this time in our study of Second Chronicles we know that Solomon has died. Uh, Solomon ruled during uh, that time where Israel was experiencing its greatest uh, prosperity and peace and power in the history of the nation. And uh, the nation had experienced great blessing for about 80 years now under the reign of David. David reigned for 40 years, and he brought the nation together and uh, began to defeat the enemies all around him. And then we know that Solomon would take the throne from David after the death of David. He built the first temple, and we saw in our previous study that as Solomon built the temple, he said that prayer of dedication. Um, they would uh, dedicate the temple, and the Lord was um, glorified as, as fire came down from heaven. And it's a great time in the history of Israel right now as the nation is united. But also, as we saw that Solomon, even though he experienced uh, great wealth, of course it was Solomon that in chapter 1 of Second Chronicles, the Lord first appeared to Solomon and said, Solomon, what do you want? And you know how uh, it was Solomon that answered, I don't know, am I coming in? Am I going out? I'm inexperienced. And, and Lord, I need wisdom to be able to rule over this great people. And the Lord said, because Solomon, you have asked nothing for yourself, but ask for this. I'm going to give you that wisdom and knowledge, and I'm also going to bless you uh, tremendously. And we have seen that the nation has been blessed. Solomon was known for his great wisdom as the leaders, uh, just as the Queen of Sheba we saw last week would come and see Solomon, and uh, he would answer all of her uh, questions, and uh, other leaders from around the known world there would come and see Solomon. But we know that as you look at the account of First Kings, it also tells us that Solomon's heart turned away from the Lord. And Solomon, because he had a thousand wives and concubines, many of those wives were foreign wives. And of course, the Old Testament law said that they were not to marry foreign wives because the Lord said, it will turn your heart against me. And that's exactly what happened with Solomon. It's interesting that Solomon, known for his great wisdom, really didn't display that wisdom later on in his life. Uh, he was one that multiplied gold for himself. He multiplied horses. He multiplied wives. When Deuteronomy chapter 17 said specifically that the king was not to multiply those things. And also he ignored the law that he was not to marry foreign wives. That is, those wives that were worshiping those foreign gods and false gods. And as you look at First Kings chapter 11... You see, as we looked at and read a little bit last week, making reference to that chapter, uh, as it gives us a little further uh, information of what was going on in Solomon's life at that time, 
we know that he turned away from the Lord in that he began to, to burn incense and worship the, the gods of the Ammonites and uh, the, the Molochs. And uh, the god of Moloch was that false god that they actually would sacrifice their children on the arms of Moloch in the Gehenna Valley. Uh, he was burning incense to uh, Astaroth and build temples and high places for them to worship. And because the anger of the Lord was aroused, we know that judgment would come to Solomon. And also we know that the Lord's going to deal with the nation. Because remember that the covenant that God had made with the children of Israel there at Mount Sinai and has reiterated that covenant with them clear up till the time of Solomon is that if you follow after me and worship me, then I'm going to bless you. But if not, if you forsake me, then I'm going to forsake you, and you're going to find yourself being in bondage, being defeated by your enemy. And, of course, uh, that's what we're going to see as we continue here in Second Chronicles uh, with those kings that turned to idol worship. So here is Solomon. Uh, he had a thousand wives and concubines. We looked at the death of Solomon last week. At the end of chapter 9, it uh, tells us that Solomon died, was buried there in Jerusalem. And we know that Solomon reigned for a period of 40 years. And Solomon left the nation really uh, weak and divided and uh, plunged into idol worship once again. And even though Solomon had a thousand wives and concubines, Rehoboam was the only son of Solomon that is uh, recorded in Scripture. And here he goes to Shechem, what is interesting, and that's where they made him king. Now Shechem has a good history with Israel. We know that Shechem was a place in Genesis chapter 12 where Abraham would worship the Lord as he built an altar for the Lord. We know that's where Joseph, the son of Jacob, was buried. But it's interesting that usually when the king was made um, or anointed king, uh, a new king would ascend to the throne of David, um, that that would take place, the anointing and the announcement of the king would take place in Jerusalem. So why is it taking place in Shechem? I think it's worth considering tonight because it's going to deal with the rest of the chapter and the chapters that we're going to be reading here in our text, chapters 10 and 11 uh, and 12 particularly. And that is, it suggests that as Shechem was this geological center of the northern tribes, those 10 northern tribes, there's already difficulty in the nation. Division has already happened, and and we'll see that uh, the 10 northern tribes in this chapter are going to break away from Judah and from Benjamin. But before we get to that, verse 2, so it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, heard it, that he was in Egypt, where he had fled from the presence of King Solomon, that Jeroboam returned from Egypt. And then they sent for him and called him, and Jeroboam and all of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, now therefore lighten the burden uh, some service of your father and his heavy yoke which he put on us and we will serve you so what we see here is we're introduced once again to Jeroboam now a lot of you know who Jeroboam was and I just want to kind of review for those of you who are perhaps new to to studying this part of the history of the Old Testament but that is as Solomon began to worship those uh, false idols and burn incense to them because of his uh, foreign wives we know that the Lord was angry with Solomon and so the Lord would use Jeroboam Jeroboam we know again from 1 Kings chapter 11 
was called a mighty man of valor. That is, that he was a man that was very resourceful, very capable. He, he was uh, one that was over the labor force that was there rebuilding and remodifying the city of David. He was making repairs in that city. So he's a very capable individual. And it was Jeroboam that we know that it was the prophet that came to him Ahijah was his name, and he took a, a garment from Jeroboam, and he tore it into 12 um, pieces. And the prophet gave Jeroboam 10 of those pieces and said, the nation's going to split, and Jeroboam, you're going to receive 10 of the tribes. That would be, of course, the house of Israel. And also, Ahijah, the prophet, would tell Jeroboam, listen, as he reiterated that covenant, if you follow after the Lord, then you're going to be blessed, and you're going to be established, you and your house, and you're going to have somebody from your house, that is, from your family, sitting on the throne of Israel. But if you forsake the Lord, judgment's going to come, and you're going to be cut off from Israel. And so that was told to Jeroboam. So Solomon, he sought to get rid of Jeroboam. And so what happens is Jeroboam, he flees to Egypt until now, as we pick it up in verse 2 of, of Second Chronicles chapter 10, after the death of Solomon, he comes back. And he comes back, he is now representing those ten northern tribes um, that are coming to Rehoboam that's on the throne. They want to speak to Rehoboam, and what they do is they say, your father's yoke is very heavy. Uh, lighten up the burdensome service. In other words, that he taxed us very heavily. He's taken a lot from us. And we know that, uh, you might recall, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, you remember at the end of the days of the judges, that it was the people that came to Samuel and said that we want to be like the other nations, and we want to have a king that rules over us. And it broke Samuel's heart, and we know that it was Samuel that went to the Lord, and the Lord said, Samuel, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. And I wanted to rule over them. And of course, that was the whole idea that as the Lord gave them the ceremonial laws and the civil laws and the religious laws, uh, the judges, the Levites, the priests, everything was set when they went into the promised land. They took the promised land. And as they were settled in that land that the Lord had given to them, that the Lord wanted to be their king. That's what Israel means, governed by God. And so they had everything in place for them to be blessed and for them to prosper and for them to experience abundance, just as we've seen here in the early chapters of Second Chronicles. We've seen tremendous blessing and tremendous provision by the Lord uh, given to them because they were following after the Lord, because they had built the temple and they dedicated the temple to the Lord. It was to, to be, um, you know, the temple a magnificent building, so it would bring glory and honor to him. And the Lord honored that, and, and there was the glory of the Lord that was manifested in the fire that came down from heaven. And you recall that they had a great feast there in chapter 7 for two weeks, and everybody went home with gladness of heart to their own tents. 
sitting under their own fig trees, eating from their own vineyards. There was tremendous blessing that was taking place. And it was to be a light to the other nations that when they saw how God was blessing them, how God was providing for them, they saw the reality of God that was working in their nation, then they too would turn to the Lord. Because you recall in the prayer of dedication that Solomon said that when a foreigner comes that you may hear them. When this temple is, is a, a light and is a witness of the reality of the goodness and faithfulness of God, that when they come, that you may hear them. But all of a sudden, you know, it, here in 1 Samuel chapter 8, um, before David comes on the scene, before any king comes on this scene, what they do is they say, we want to be like the other nations. We want a king before us. They haven't rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me is what the Lord said. Well, my hope and prayer for for us individually and for our families and for this church corporately is that people would see the reality of Jesus Christ in our lives. It would truly be a witness and a light to them. And so here is, you know, Solomon, and and, and, uh, he begins to get involved in idol worship. Uh, Judgment is going to come to the nation now. Jeroboam, ten of the tribes are going to go to you, as it is told. The people come and, and they, they say, ease up. And of course, it was Samuel that warned the people, when you have a king, he's going to come and take from you. He's going to take your sons. He's going to take your daughters as servants. He's going to take your vineyards. He's going to take your cattle, your sheep. He's going to take you know, the, the best of the, uh, the orchards. He's going to take from you. And that's what Solomon did. He taxed the people very heavily. He used the people and all his building projects, and it was too much for them. So they come to Rehoboam. They said, ease up on us, man. And what Rehoboam does is he answers the people here in verse 5. He says, to them, well, come back to me after three days, and the people departed. And then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived, saying, How do you advise me to answer these people? And they spoke to him, saying, If you are kind to these people and please them and speak good words to them, they will be your servants forever. So it's Rehoboam. He tells them, Come back in three days. I'm going to consult you know, my my counselors and advisors and he asked counsel from his father's advisors these guys who are older and they give him very wise counsel they said be kind to the people you know serve the people Rehoboam ease up on them and as you do they're going to be loyal to you we know that first kings chapter 12 tells us that they told him if you serve them and speak good words to them then they're going to serve you as well so Hear that advice given to Rehoboam. Hey, serve the people and, and, and be kind to them, and they're going to follow after you. That really should be the heart of every minister, is to be a servant. And of course, we know that Jesus said that if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then be the servant of all. Because the disciples came coming to Jesus and saying, how you know, can we be great? And arguing who was the greatest among them. Clear up until the time of, of you know, Jesus last night with them. And Jesus was getting them to realize as he would on that night that he would be betrayed. And um, he would there in the upper room gird himself with a towel. And he would wash their feet. Um, and he would say that do this 
as I have done it for you. I've done it as an example for you, that you guys are to be servants. And that should be the heart of everyone who desires to minister to others, to be a servant. And, and we know that here Rehoboam, as he hears that good advice, what happens? Well, verse 8, he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him. So Rehoboam, he rejects the advice. I don't want to hear that servant stuff. I don't want to hear, you know, be nice to them. He, he didn't want to hear anything about it. And so what he does is he rejects the advice right off the bat. Sometimes people will come and they will talk to me. They'll come in and they'll have a problem. They'll, you know, have a situation that they're facing that's difficult. They'll um, have decisions to make. And I will tell them what the Word of God has to say concerning what it is that they're wondering about or their question or the circumstances that they might be facing. And I'll say, this is what God's word declares. And there have been those who have said, well, that won't work for me. Or I'm going to do my own thing or, or I'm going to do something else. And I know that when they say that to me, that they're going to be headed down some very difficult and rough you know, road uh, ahead of them because they're going to turn to the world's advice or they're going to try to do things in their own understanding. You see, the way for us to help people is to give them godly advice, but it's very important for you and for me as we are seeking things and, and seeking wisdom that we ask of the Lord and that we ask in faith and knowing that the Lord desires to give us that wisdom and it comes from his word. It comes from him as he guides us and directs us and instructs us. So here is Rehoboam. It's like, I don't want that godly advice. You know, I'm going to go to these other guys, verse 9. So he goes, as he goes to the young men, and he said to them, What advice do you give? And how should we answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your father put on us? And then the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, Thus you should speak to the people who have spoken to you, saying, Your father made your yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And verse 11, And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. Rehoboam listens to this foolish counsel and advice from the younger guys. And of course, he's going to listen to them because he rejected the godly counsel. And these young guys say, you need to be harsh. You need to be hard. You need to show them who's boss. You need to rule over them. These guys are telling Rehoboam what it is that he wants to hear. You see, godly counsel won't always appeal to our wants or to our desires or to our flesh. But worldly counsel will. If we're not desiring to seek godly counsel, and so here's Rehoboam. He wants to rule over them. And of course, again, Jesus would say that if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you must be the servant of all. We also know that Jesus said that you're not to rule over them. That's Gentile stuff. And, and so here we know from the scriptures, as even Paul the Apostle, you might recall Paul the Apostle, that when he was dealing with the the false, you know, apostles and prophets that were in Corinth, that they were ruling over the people with a very heavy hand. And you recall that it was that Paul that said to the Corinthian believers, I'm not here to rule over you, but to be helpers of your joy. 
And in that epistle, 2 Corinthians, we see that Paul pours out his heart to, you know, the people in a very, very uh, way that he talks about his ministry in a way that he doesn't do in any other place in Scripture. So, here Paul the Apostle was one that served them. And, and we've even seen that in the addresses he was addressing the Ephesian elders. He says, you know what manner of man I was when I lived among you, coming in in all humility. We also know that it was John that he would also speak of this one, Diotrephus was his name in Third John. He wants to have preeminence over you. So you and I as true ministers of Jesus Christ were to serve others, were to serve in great humility. And here Rehoboam, he wants to serve with a heavy hand, uh, just as there have been those always that want to rule over people when it comes to ministry, when it comes to serving others. And uh, serving others doesn't mean that you rule with a heavy hand. Now, I know that perhaps there might be some that think, well, you know, I'm called to rule over my family as the head of the house. Yes, you are called men and husbands to rule over your family. But that ruling over your family, as the scripture says, comes with an attitude and with a mindset of love and cherishing and serving. And that's what it means, that we humble ourselves and we submit ourselves to God. And that we're to serve our families, our children, and our wives. And that we're to cherish them and love them unconditionally. And that's what the scripture tells us very clearly. So here is uh, Rehoboam. And in two verses here, he undid all the unity that Israel had enjoyed for 80 years under David and Solomon. And it's sad to see what's going to happen now. So Rehoboam, he takes the advice, and and that's what he's going to do. Let's go to verse 12. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king had directed, saying, Come back to me the third day. And then the king answered them roughly. King Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young man, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to it. My father chastised you with whips, but I'm going to chastise you with scourges. I'm going to really make it difficult for you. I'm going to show you really who's boss. In verse 15, So the king did not listen to the people, for the turn of events was from God, that the Lord might fulfill his word, which he had spoken by the hand of Ahijah the Shilonite, to Jeroboam the son of Nabat. Now when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to your tents, O Israel, now see to your own house, O David. So three days pass, Rehoboam returns. He lets the people have it. So the ten northern tribes now break away. So we know that at this time in the history of Israel, that the ten northern tribes are known as the house of Israel. So when you go through the scriptures, when you go through particularly First and Second Kings, that talks a lot about the ten northern tribes, the house of Israel, and the kings that ruled the house of Israel. There were 19 kings in totality. Starting with Jeroboam, they were all evil kings. None of them walked with the Lord. They were all involved in idol worship. And we know that the house of Israel would go through very, very difficult times particularly spiritually. And um, so we, we see that now idol worship is going to come to the house of Israel under the reign of Jeroboam and continue until they would go into captivity, which would take place in about 720 B.C. by the Assyrians. When we go through Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles is not going to talk about the kings of Israel. 
We already looked at that in First and Second Kings. First and Second Chronicles only talks about and gives a record of the kings of Judah. But the ten northern tribes at this time now break away from the house of Judah, which includes the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. So there is now a split in the nation that will continue um, until, again, the house of Israel goes into captivity by the Assyrians. And then eventually, when we get to the end of Second Chronicles, as you know, that the house of Judah is going to go off into captivity by the Babylonians. And verse 17, But Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. And then King Rehoboam sent Hadoram, who was in charge of the revenue, but the children of Israel stoned him with stones, and he died. And therefore King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. So what happens here is that it's apparently Rehoboam doesn't take this, you know, split this rebellion seriously. So he sends his tax guy to the ten northern tribes and they end up stoning him, Adoram. Scholars say this is the same guy as Adoniram of 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 5, and chapter 5, verse 14. And he was the one that was over the labor force for Solomon. And it is believed that he was a very harsh man. And he could have been one that was really hated by the people. So he goes up, Rehoboam says, I'm going to send this tough guy to go up and gather taxes from the ten northern tribes. He doesn't take the rebellion seriously, and they end up stoning this guy, and Rehoboam flees for his safety. And so now the focus is going to be on the house of Judah and, um, and the reign of the kings of Judah as we continue chapter 11. As Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled from the house of Judah and Benjamin 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against Israel, that he might restore the kingdom to Rehoboam. But the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all Israel and Judah and Benjamin, saying, Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up or fight against your brethren. Let every man turn to his house, for this thing is from me. And therefore they obeyed the words of the Lord and turned back from attacking Jeroboam. So Jeroboam, you know, thought that he would unite the kingdom by force. So he gathers some troops to fight against the house of Israel. Shemamiah, the man of God, said to Rehoboam, don't do this. God has allowed this to happen. Now, we hear from Shemamiah in this chapter, and we're going to hear from him in chapter 12, as he gives this message at this time, in this season, in the history of what's going on in the nation of God's people. And he's the one that he gives the word of the Lord to Rehoboam and the leaders, and he also writes the word of the Lord as well, as we see at the end of chapter 12. But he's a prophet, and it's interesting to stop and consider these prophets because he's not one of the prophets that we're you know, familiar with. And, and if you ask most Christians, Shemamiah, who is he? I don't know who he is. Where is he mentioned in the scripture? Well, he's the one that came to Rehoboam and, and said, Rehoboam, don't go to battle against the house of Israel. You need to, to, to not go to war, and you need to you know, realize that this comes from the Lord. And we're going to see that he's going to have a word for Rehoboam in the next chapter as well um, as we continue on. But you know, here is 
here is this prophet being used at this time for a very important reason. And the reason that I am kind of pointing this out and emphasizing this is because sometimes when we bring a word of the Lord to somebody, we, we think, well, you know, I'm not used, being used as much as maybe somebody who's teaching the Bible all their time or whatever it might be. You always be open for whatever the Lord might want to use you at whatever time. And it's very important that you be open and, you know, sense his leading. And whatever word that you might give to somebody is very important in the season that they are in. So here is this very important word that is given that's going to help, you know, um, give the word of the Lord um, so Rehoboam knows what the Lord is doing. And so we see here that Rehoboam fortifies the cities. In verses 5 through 12 of chapter 11, Rehoboam dwelt in Jerusalem and built cities for defense in Judah, and he built Bethlehem. And you go through verse 10, and all the cities are mentioned there, which are in Judah and Benjamin fortified cities. Verse 11, let's pick it up there of chapter 11. And he fortified the strongholds and put captains in them and stores of food, oil, and wine. Also in every city he put shields and spears and made them very strong, having Judah and Benjamin on his side. So what he does is he fortifies the cities of Judah. He really makes them strong. He, he makes them, he's preparing uh, in case Israel wants to come down and do war against him. But there's no building up of their faith. You see, sometimes we can think, and it's very easy and very subtly we can do this as Christians. We can think, if I just fortify my bank account, fortify having a bigger home or having more possessions, then I'll really be strong, I'll really be healthy, I'll really be doing well. Now, if the Lord has blessed you, you know, in those things, then you give praise and glory to him because every good gift comes from above. And we should be good stewards of what God has given to us. But don't think that just because we have, you know, a fortified or stored up bank account or, you know, a big home or lots of possessions, that that automatically means that we are strong and that we are healthy. It may be to the world standard, but when it comes to spiritually, the way that we're going to be strong and healthy and secure is if we are growing in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and growing in our relationship with him. And parents, that's so important that we give that message to our kids and to our grandkids. Because in our society and in our nation, they are told over and over and over again, they are bombarded with the message, is that more is better. And grander and, and, and possessions and all of this is what's going to make you happy and fulfilled and satisfied. And we need to say, listen. What is going to make you satisfied and fulfilled and strong and secure and really having true joy and happiness in life is a close relationship with Jesus Christ and growing in your faith in him and the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. That's the message that we need to give and they need to see it in our lives as well. So here he is, he's fortifying the cities. He's storing it up with food and all of this in case they attack. And he's thinking this is what's going to be ultimately what's going to be of help and protect our nation when it was the Lord that had said to them, believe in me because I'm your strong tower. I'm your defense. I'm the one that is going to fortify your lives. I'm the one that's going to bring your provision and satisfaction. So the priests, as we read about them in verse 13, from all their territories, the priests and the Levites who were in all Israel took their stand with them 
For the Levites left their common lands and their possessions and came to Judah and Jerusalem. For Jeroboam and his sons had rejected them from serving as priests to the Lord. And then he appointed for himself priests for the high places, for the demons and the calf idols which he had made. And after the Levites left, those from all the tribes of Israel, such as set their heart to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord God of their fathers. So we know that when the children of Israel came into the promised land, there were 48 cities that were called Levitical cities, right? And they were spread out all throughout Israel. And it was spread out to where that anybody in Israel, it was no longer than a day's walk to go to one of those Levitical cities. And we're also going to see from Second Chronicles that the ministry of the priests and Levites was more than just a ministry that was there at the temple and doing the sacrifices. It was also teaching the people as well. It was teaching the people the word of God. And all of a sudden, with the house of Israel that is given over to idol worship, and Jeroboam, what he did, is, as a lot of you know from First Kings, is he told the people when the ten northern tribes broke away, hey, don't go down to Jerusalem and, and worship at the temple. Don't go there. And, and the reason that Jeroboam said that, because he was afraid that the people would go to Jerusalem, they would miss the temple worship, they would want to unite once again with the house of Judah, and they're going to kill me. So Jeroboam says, listen, it's too far, don't go there. I'm going to build a temple dedicated to the golden calf up in Dan, the northern part of the country, and then in Bethel, which was down towards Jerusalem, and go there and worship. So what happens is, is the Levites and the priests that are up there in those ten northern tribes, they all leave those Levitical cities and they come down to Jerusalem. So that godly influence is now gone in the house of Israel. And they come to Judah, to Jerusalem, to be able to sacrifice, to be able to, to worship the Lord there at the temple. So Israel, no longer having that godly influence, is given over to, as we know, to idol worship and false worship. And notice here that it says to the high places for the demons. Of course, it was Paul that said, behind the idols, there are demons that are there. This false worship. And we know that the nation was plunged at this time into that ungodly influence of false priests and leaders that would come on the scene that Jeroboam had set up. We know that a few godly prophets come on the scene during this time to the house of Israel. Mostly we know them as Elijah. He comes on the scene and then after him Elijah that's ministering to the nation. So the Levitical priest and, and the other Levites leave those uh, cities that were designated for them to live in. The godly influence is gone. And then in verse 17, so they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam the son of Solomon strong for three years because they walked in the way of David and Solomon for three years. So this godly influence comes to Jerusalem and it actually has a very positive spiritual effect on the nation and on Rehoboam for a short time. But listen, Moms and dads, dad says you're the priest of your home. You're to have a godly influence on your home. And I pray that it's there. I pray that it's there. One of the things that really breaks my heart is when I hear parents that come to me and they have, and they say, well, we only come here not for our benefit, just for the benefit of the kids. 
Like, you know, they're the ones that we want to teach, you know, the godly influence, and we don't really need it in our lives. Listen, if we're not being godly influence and an example to them, then it's going to have a negative effect on them. And we're going to do everything that we can to teach them God's word and to love them and to be a godly influence to them. But it starts with you, parents and grandparents, for you to be that godly example because you're going to bless your children. You're going to bless your family as you are. So here is this blessing to Judah that happens during this time. But as we look at the family of Rehoboam in verses 8, um, 18 through uh, 23, we see that Rehoboam took for himself a wife, Mahalath, the daughter of Jeremoth, the son of David. And it talks about his family, how uh, she bore him children. And, um, and then in uh, verse 21, now Rehoboam loved Mahaka, the granddaughter of Absalom. You remember who Absalom was? Remember Absalom? He tried to usurp the throne away from his father David. And um, Absalom uh, did. He stole the hearts of the people um, of Israel, and he took the throne, and David had to flee from Jerusalem, and Absalom ended up being killed by Joab. So that story all in Second uh, Samuel. So Rehoboam loved the, uh, his, you know, Absalom's granddaughter more than all his wives and his concubines. He took 18 wives, 60 concubines, and begot 28 sons and 60 daughters. And Rehoboam appointed Abijah, the son of Mahakad, as chief to be leader among his brothers, for he intended to make him king, and he dwelt wisely and dispersed some of the sons throughout all the territories of Judah and Benjamin to every fortified city, and he gave them provisions in abundance, and he also sought many wives for them. So what he does is um, he, as we look at the family of Rehoboam, he's already preparing for Ahijah to um, to. Uh, be the uh, next king, or Abijah, that is. And he's spreading out all his sons all over the place, so um, in case they get attacked, they're not all wiped out at once. And he gives them supplies. Chapter 12, very quickly. It came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself that he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel along with them. And it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord. With 1,200 chariots, 60,000 horsemen, people without number who came with him out of Egypt, the Lubim and, and the Shukayim and and the Ethiopians, and he took the fortified cities of Judah and came to Jerusalem. So we read about the sin of Rehoboam. First of all, as you read in verse 1, that he strengthened himself. Second of all, he forsook the Lord. And those two go together. When you forsake God, you're going to be independent of God. And then he would lead all of Israel along with him. Again, moms and dads, grandparents, leaders, that we need to be that godly example. And if we are leading, we're going to lead people closer to the Lord or we're going to lead them away from the Lord. And I know it's your desire to lead people towards the Lord and your children. So be that godly example to them. And that was the worst thing about the sin of Rehoboam. He led the nation with him into this depravity, into this, this sin of false worship. First Kings chapter 14 tells us Rehoboam uh, was 
you know, involved in great false worship and great perversities, what he was involved in as well. So this huge army now comes to fight against Judah from Egypt and Ethiopia as God is bringing judgment against Judah. In verse 5, Shemamiah, the prophet, came to Rehoboam and the leaders of Judah who were gathered together in Jerusalem because of Shishak, and said to them, Thus says the Lord, You have forsaken me, and therefore I also have left you in the hand of Shishak. So the leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves, and they said, The Lord is righteous. So God said, This has happened because you forsook me, just as he said would happen. We forsook God, and now we're going to be in bondage to Egypt. We're going to be in bondage to the world. Egypt is a picture of the world. And they would humble themselves. And they would say that the Lord is righteous. You know, repentance includes humbling, doesn't it? Just as Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, that if we humble ourselves and cry out to God, if we pray and seek his face, he will hear us and he will heal our land. True repentance is going to include humbling our hearts before the Lord and crying out to him and seeking him and turning to him. They said the Lord is righteous. God's judgments are righteous. You know, he chastens his children that he loves. Be careful if you ever get in the mindset of, well, God is judging me. Remember this, as a child of God and as a Christian, Jesus took that judgment upon the cross for you and for me. He tasted death for you and for me. He died in place of you and for me. All of our sins were placed upon him. When we come to the communion table here in just a short time, we're going to remember what Jesus did for us in allowing his body to be broken and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. He took the judgment that you and I deserve, but he will chasten his children because of his love for us. And he will chasten his children because we do belong to him. But I know that as God is going to judge this world and he is going to judge sin, that as you get to the end of the book of Revelation, after all that takes place in the book of Revelation, as God is pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world, that in chapter 19, right before the second coming of Jesus Christ, that we will all be in heaven and we will be saying, Righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. Righteous and true are your decisions. The Lord is righteous and he is true. You're right on, Lord. And he is going to judge sin. And he's going to judge that which is evil and dark. Jesus took the judgment for you and for me as we come in faith and receive forgiveness. He was the propitiation, the atonement. And I pray if there is anybody that is here or if you're in the coffee shop and you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ, he loves you and he died for you and he took the judgment for you and this incredible grace is now available in salvation as you come in faith, believing in who he is, the son of God who died for you on Calvary's cross. And he was put into a grave and he rose again after three days. But it means humbling your heart and repenting. Quit going the direction that you are going and surrender now your life to Jesus Christ. He loves you. And we want to give you that opportunity. And here is the, the people here, the leaders, humbling themselves and saying, the Lord, he's the one that is righteous 
And now when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, saying, They have humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. My wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Nevertheless, they will be his servants, that they may distinguish my service from the service of the kingdoms of the nations. They're going to understand that being under my rule and authority and serving me is a whole lot easier than serving the world. Listen, Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And you take on the yoke and the burden of the world, it's going to be heavy. You take on the bondage of the world and the yoke of the world, yoke yourself to the world, you're going to see that it's very hard and very difficult. Jesus loves you. My, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. And we see that it was Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem and took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and treasures of the king's house. He took everything. He also carried away the gold shields which Solomon had made. Remember Solomon made those 300 big shields, you know, and, and, or 200 big shields, and then 300 smaller shields all made of gold. It was all for display. It was all gone. All the wealth that Solomon had, a lot of it's gone. Jesus said, store up your treasures in heaven. And that's where our priorities need to be. Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guards who guarded the door- doorway of the king's house. So Rehoboam says, I'm going to replace the gold with these bronze shields. Uh, he, he, he was trying to, to you know, keep up the image, if you would. And I hope that none of us that we're in that place where we say, you know what, I'm going to just try to keep up the image. I'll talk to talk. I'll blurt out some Bible verses. I'll tell people I'm a Christian. But at one time, that your heart, there was gold. There, there was purity. That's what gold speaks of. There was closeness with the Lord. That you have backtracked to where you're trying to keep the image. Again, the Lord loves you and desires for you to return and to draw close to him. And when he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord was turned against him, as so not to destroy him completely, and things also went well in Judah. So the mercy of God that is here, and in verses 13 through 16, the death of Rehoboam. So, Father, we thank you so much for this lesson that we've learned. And, and Lord, the message that is there We see very clearly what happens when we stay close to you. Lord, when we just follow you, we trust you. Lord, good things happen. Good things happen. And so, Lord, we just ask that as we come right now, and Father, I do pray if there's anybody here that they've never surrendered their life to Jesus Christ that you can do so right now, right where you're sitting. You've heard the gospel. And that is our sin has separated us from God. And God is going to judge sin. He's a righteous God. He's a just God. But he's a loving God. He's made provision as well. And the way that he made provision, he's the just and the justifier, as the book of Romans says, he's just in that he's going to to judge sin because he's a righteous God. But he's the justifier in that he sent his son to die for you and take the judgment upon himself. 
And for you who come and cry out to him, salvation is available. And you can do that right where you're at, right now. And you can pray, Jesus, I now turn to you. I surrender my life to you. I believe that you died on Calvary's cross for my sins. You were put into a grave and you rose again after three days in your life. I open my heart to you. Be my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for dying for me and taking the judgment for me. And I now surrender my heart to you. I thank you for your love for me and for saving me. And help me to live for you all the days of my life. And as we come now to the communion table, that we hold the elements realizing what Jesus, again, remembering what he did for us and allowing his body to be broken and his blood shed.